The nature is just incredible. The moonlight, when it's full moon, it's just, you, there's nowhere like it. I'm Diana O'Connor. Welcome to the Dingle Lit Podcast. Diagwit agus fóta dan podcrail féla litrhe cuirchagwina. Each year, at the end of November, Dingle Lit Book Festival brings together a unique weekend programme of events in English and Osgwelga on the Dingle Peninsula. The rocky island of Skellig Michael has been the site of pilgrimage for hundreds of years, even before it featured in Star Wars. Every year, guides live on the island during the summer season to welcome tourists and show them around this UNESCO World Heritage Site. Dingle Peninsula resident Catherine Merrigan has been travelling to work on Skellig Michael for over 20 years. Her book, Living Among the Puffins on Skellig Michael, illustrates her reflections of life on the island with beautiful original photography. Her colleague Robert L. Harris also used his time off during the pandemic to put pen to paper, coming out with Returning Light, 30 Years of Life on Skellig Michael. I was delighted to bring Catherine and Robert to the stage at Dingle Lit in November 2021, to share their thoughts on the solitude, spirituality and ecology of this very special place. I began by asking Catherine what her very first impression of the island was as a visitor. I mean, I'd been living on, in Dingle for how long and looking across the Skelligs and I just couldn't believe it. You just have to be there mm-hmm. to, to know, you know, yeah, so. And you described your first visit as well in your book, Robert. That's right. It struck yeah. you, didn't it? Huh? It struck you quite Absolutely. strongly. Absolutely, yeah. I had actually no intention of going today. I went. We, we were just driving along and saw the boat advertised in Balance Skelligs. And so weren't really prepared for what I was going to see. Um, and it isn't, like Catherine says, it's another otherworldly kind of place. Simply, I think, particularly because of just the way it just juts up out of the sea. There's nothing else there. You stand up on the peak and all that's there is the sea and the sky and the birds. And even though the terrain is very similar to the mainland, it's completely different because of just being stuck out by itself. Yeah. And you actually came across now, Robert was born in South America, is an American and by passport, has been living and, in Ireland and Irish, and Irish yeah. for 42 years here yeah. in Ireland. Yeah. So your mother-in-law lives in Killarney, and it was on a trip down to visit her, you saw a copy of The Carry Man that right. fateful day. That's right. My wife is from Killarney. And uh, we just happened to be visiting, myself and my son. And uh, I was going through the hallway, and there was a Carry Man there. I don't think it was a current Carry Man. It might have been a couple of weeks old, advertising this new guiding service. And um, a month later, I was there. So it happened yeah. very quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. And a very long commute from his home in Leitrim, from Leitrim. as well. That's right, yeah. Mm. <laughs> but it's a, it is a, a commute that is a, a long commute, I suppose, for anyone getting yeah. out there. It's, Absolutely. A, it's quite mm-hmm. a trip on the boats, isn't yeah. it? The last eight miles is, is the most difficult. <laughs> yeah. 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 And even, Catherine, in your book, you talk about how you, when you got out there, you were actually stranded there. The, the sea was so rough, you couldn't leave for more day, a lot more time than you thought you yeah. could as well. So yeah, is absolutely. that something that happens a lot? The, the sea is just wild mm-hmm. and no boats can land at all. So mm-hmm. sometimes you, your stay can go longer than two weeks, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. sometimes you can't get on or sometimes you can't get off. Mm-hmm. So something I find fascinating about this, and 
I, I like my food and I like to know when I'm, when I'm having my next dinner. But you have to think about what you're going to eat for two weeks at a time. Bring it all out with you. And if you stay like that, if the sea conditions are rough and maybe there's four or five days added on to your trip, you have to kind of ration your food out for that as well. Can you tell me a little bit about how you find the organizing for a trip? Yeah. I don't know. I just uh, at this stage, I, I'm pretty good at it. I don't know how. I just uh, always have fresh food. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have fridges in our little cabins. Uh, there's no electricity, but there's gas cylinders um, and solar panels on the top of our little huts. And so at least we have fridges, you know, for fresh veg and that. And the odd time, a boatman would bring us uh, some fresh fish as well. Yeah. So that's nice too, you know. Mm. But. Uh, yeah, and we have a lot of time to think about food and a lot of time to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and I do a lot of it. <laughs> do you find it a big adjustment though? I suppose the, you know, the way you're living, the way you're eating, is it a lot simpler than your life would have been at home prior to that? Or no. you've managed For to get, no. get your creature comforts? <laughs> you get, I, I don't know, as Catherine says, over time you, you, you get used to managing things. Uh, you hope to be on good uh, relations with your next door neighbors. They might share a bit of things with you too. It's sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you need to drop in for a cup of sugar. Uh, yeah, it's amazing because a lot of people that visit, a lot of tourists, they ask, so what do you eat? I mean, canned foods or they just can't believe you'd have a big, nice dinner, you know, they just can't, yeah. But yeah. Um, very important part of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the, I suppose one of my questions was what's your favorite part of the day? And I think, when, um, Catherine, you might have a little bit of your book you're gonna read in relation to this as well. Mm -hmm. So I already know what your favorite part is based on this, but tell us about your favorite part of the day on the island, and then maybe if you'd give us yeah. a little bit of that reading. Be yeah, great. well, I love the, the light and the sunlight, the, the, the morning light and then the evening light, the sunsets, really. I just, I never miss a sunset. Uh, so I always go up to the top of the monastery, behind the monastery where you can get the best view across the, to, the blaskets and yeah, so that would be my favourite time. Yeah. And yeah. Do you want to give us a little bit of reading? Yeah, please. Mm -hmm. Hope I don't stutter now. Slow down. <laughs> <laughs> As my mother would say. Regardless of the weather, each evening I go above the monastery to see the sunset. The sunsets can be remarkable, beautiful, with lots of colours, pinks and purples. Looking across to the Blasket Islands and the Dingle Peninsula to the north, with shimmering golden light on the sea. It's my favorite time of day. I always stay till the very last light. Descending down the 600 steps to the cabin, I first pass through the monastery, eerie at night, and there is always a presence. There is a huge change that happens at this time of night on the Skelligs. The monastery becomes very active just as it becomes dark and it's a very special experience. The nocturnal birds return home after fishing for the day to feed their young. The storm petrels are minute little birds that fly around like swallows. They're called the dancers of the sea, and at times they trail fishing boats with their dainty little feet dancing on the surface of the ocean. I think you've, I mean, both of you have brought the island to life. I haven't been there yet. <laughs> it's on the, on the to-do list every oh. summer. But I think you've brought it to life so vividly in, you know, your love of nature, the birds, all of that. 
and you, Catherine, especially with your photographs, you've taken so many photographs of the puffins and all the birds. One billion? There over here. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad we don't have them here. They're absolutely magical. All the puffins? Yeah. No, pictures. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. But I mean, that's that's part of the the appeal for you as well is is the nature, the nature really. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. all aspects of it, but the nature is just incredible. The moonlight, when it's full moon, it's just you. There's nowhere like it. Mm -hmm. You know, big pathway of golden light on mm -hmm. the sea. Yeah. yeah. And Robert, what about you? What would you say is your favourite time of day? Oh, I think the night time yeah. as well. Certainly, uh, it's a time when you know you have the island to yourself more mm -hmm. or less. Um, or the evening, as Catherine has described, but also early morning. Those two sort of uh, um, intervals, you know, the dawn is more magical. Um, and uh, for instance, in the morning, I often uh, would go down to the landing very early just to make sure that the sea is all right, and talk to the boatmen ashore, uh, tell them whether it's okay to come out to the island or not. So you have that magical little place, which is like a little pool of light where uh, the puffins are are beginning to stir and the other birds are and sometimes there's a few seals down there and that's that's all very quiet it's undisturbed by by engines or boats yet so it's a good time of the day i suppose the living conditions on the island are quite isolated i think there is maybe two guides at a time on the island three 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 three, yeah. three. Mm. so you're not alone but it is a very different sort of yeah, existence to living. You're not alone, but you are alone. Yeah. 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 Um, and just, I suppose, thinking about that in terms of what everyone has been going through over the last year or two with the pandemic, do you think that it prepared you for lockdowns and that kind of isolation that the whole world, do you think you faced it maybe with more, better equipped than the rest of us after this kind of isolation <laughs> that you've had on the island? Well, it's, it's, it's um, I don't know, better equipped, but you're, you're familiar with what people are going through. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I suppose it depends on your personality. Some people are more solitary than others. Uh, but um, the thing about being out on the Skelligs is it's a, it's a good place to be alone. It's a good, good solitude in many ways. You still have to confront yourself. You have to confront your life where you are. Uh, you know, you're, you've got just these... Uh, endless horizons around you, so your sense of insignificance can be pretty profound. Uh, and I think a lot of people have experienced all those things over the last mm. couple of years. Yeah. So um, I think maybe we might have a, have a certain insight into that from, from our previous experience, anyhow. Yeah. And interestingly, I suppose that the first lockdown in 2020 was the first year in a long time that you wouldn't have gone over to the Skelligs. So was there That's right, yeah. a real gap in your life that year then, yeah, not going there? I just there. kept thinking it would happen, you know. Yeah, kept thinking it would, but then nothing mm -hmm. really did happen then yeah. that year, did it? And I get the sense that it's such a special, magical place that I presume that you both have a very, feel a deep attachment to it. Does it feel kind of part of you? Oh, yeah. Sure, of course, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like any place where you spend a long time. But um, I think probably the difference there, as opposed to people's work commitment, no matter how profound it is, is that we do live out there. Mm -hmm. So we stay out there, and that's what makes it very different. I suppose every job has its challenges, and even though it sounds beautiful and magical and very mm -hmm. special to get to go out and spend that time on the Skellig and watch the birds at such close quarters and really kind of intimately know the cycles of their life. What would you say are the biggest challenges in the job? 
It becomes very small and visually, you know, for, when the puffins are there, for me personally, I'm happy out. <laughs> but then come August, you know, the first week in August, they all head away. Mm. And then it just empties out and it's just, the color goes, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, so I find it more challenging then. The light, it gets darker, you know, mm. it gets colder. And uh, you're out there in all conditions, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's like, you know, people, they, they come out and they, wow, what a job, but it's, it has its challenges for sure, you know, and also like us humans, you know, it's not easy to live three people on, on an island, you know, so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, say, I'm, not, I'm not difficult, everybody, you know, so it's challenging enough, you know, yeah. that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's lovely to see the visitors, I love to see the visitors coming, I yeah. have to say. I think it's kind of remarkable that, that we're able to survive together to a certain extent, um, it is challenging. I mean, sure, you know very, very, very well. People are, are have to have their own space, and even though we're, uh, we do supposedly live alone, three little huts close together, people have to make compromises, mm -hmm. and, and we do. And we do. You know, yeah. It's amazing to see how that works. It's kind of interesting. See it's a sociological experiment. Well, no, I wouldn't go that far. Like no, no, yeah. Not, not, interest, not interested in that. Just a question of survival. Oh. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, I suppose the survival and being away from your family, your loved sure. ones, Catherine, your um, your late dog, who I know, is, I know <laughs> you're so fond it. of. To be away, I mean, I take to be away from my dog for a few yeah. weeks at a time. <laughs> I can barely manage a day. <laughs> you know, that must have been very. That must be very difficult when you are there and sure. you're. It's it's quite difficult. And I suppose your your children and. How, how has that been over the years? How have you found you've dealt with that? It's difficult. It's mm -hmm. difficult. That's, that would be the main challenge, mm -hmm. uh, trying to balance the home life with life out in the island. And like you mm -hmm. say, it was particularly poignant and, and I suppose apparent when my children were very young. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's still there, yeah. definitely. Uh, yeah. Transition can be difficult. Yeah. And I suppose another thing we, we talked about just a little bit beforehand was around things happen when you're stuck on the island and maybe, you know, you can't get off the island just mm. like that. So um, I believe you have a little poem you're going to read to us, Robert, and it's about you know, how you deal with maybe getting bad news from the outside was something that inspired this poem. Well, actually, what I'd like to do, if you, mm -hmm. if you don't mind, is just read a little bit just to lead, lead into that, which yeah. is kind of about the isolation um, on the island. And um, one analogy I might make is that sometimes it's, it, all, it can almost seem like the island just takes off on its own. Mm -hmm. It's just like a ship. And that kind of leads into the poem. So we'll read just that, if you don't mind, first of all. Um, they're just di uh, diary entries. So like I say, sometimes, just without thinking, uh, it seems like you're on a ship as well as on a rock. Uh, and this comes from the year 2000. The ship of the spirit is being cut loose by hard weather. The ground underfoot rumbles, shakes, quivering in the sea's nascent movement against the rock far below. The ground lurches, balances against the rise and fall of raised waves, slowly passing by against the island. And the surf steadily works against the pistons of this island engine. The wheelhouses of the monastery and of the little oratory at the peak tighten course upon the air. Energy drills from the high cross, from raven backbone, from rabbit skull, wind to spring and release light and thrust. They adjust themselves almost imperceptibly, but steadily. The island balances and stands stock still. 
There is a quiet eeriness here this evening. Rock walls shimmer as I pass. The steps shine in the fog. Their hard teeth bite against the island's atmosphere, spiral upwards into the mist. But every night, a new demon arrives and surrounds this suspended rock. And the reason I say that a new demon arrives is because you, you can be on your own there. It isn't as if it's really uh, this magical, blissful existence. But you can, you can be with your own self. And then all of a sudden, things happen. And you get very, very clear messages from the outside world, or people from, from the outside world come. And one of the unfortunate things that's happened on the island, particularly in recent years, is we've had very, very bad accidents there. And we've had fatalities on the island. And one in particular, the, uh, the last one, uh, was, was one that I had quite a bit to deal with. And uh, so this, this is just a little bit about what happens when you're on an island ship and all of a sudden, these very tragic or poignant things happen which affect you, which come from the outside world. <clears throat> and so I'm actually writing a little bit about one of these people in, in this particular uh, entry. In the rain and the wind, I climbed up to the small oratory again, carrying those deceased on the island with me. They were wrestling with my soul, admonishing me there. This is a difficult time to speak of. But I left them there above, as I left the four buntings who have haunted the steps and saddle these last few days. But they will return. The sea runs high today. Pressure from Iceland forms the hills of water which surround the rock, which you might walk upon, streaked by long green white tendrils of hair, solid as the groundlessness is real below your feet. For all has changed here. The pale eye of the sun stretches far southwards now, past the feast of St. Michael. The pilgrims are gone. The island is deserted. No work moves on apace. No controversy rages. No courts of law. Just a rock stretching high roads into sky. I sang from the station on the peak above last year, my breath joining with you there beyond the rock, just beyond hand's reach. And yesterday, a handful of passing gannets wove your image before me suddenly within the empty blue ahead. And now I know your hands rest upon my head. The wind bears down upon us here, stretching its arms continually around the rock, bringing all passing lost things near. Outside in the storm, outside of the light tonight, there is a fire of wind, of rain, of full immersion under white hoods of the passing sea. These are monks' hoods. Still they continue to come around the far corner of the point, illuminating the rock, casting an eerie glow down channel pinnacles, catching the quick glimmers of lightning, which fire in series their stretching arms surrounding a small pier, reaching high upon blue sky, fanning pairs of wings, their tips suspended feathers of falling crystal and white spray, so that they thunder then onto the steps tumbling to fall from on high upon the landing, cutting access away and saying through that cascade, no one crosses such a threshold for days on end. Mark your own way out here. And stand to walk upon the night with young fledglings taking their first steps under cover of darkness, sheltering on the road, shivering and stunned, their instincts briefly overwhelmed, the wind loosened overhead, and their small spirits lifted into the dark and invisible but for the radical fluttering of their wings, 
testing themselves within the October air where we wrestle with our own shivering thoughts. Where you pull me to the wall to stand gazing back at the mainland in the dark. The car lights, the village lights swallowed in the mist and we are left here alone at a far corner of the earth to cast waters hard down on these rocks to sound and propel the engines sending fledglings on their way out to South America knowing that very few will be able to return. Minding the lanterns here within this darkening stone which vanishes underneath us, leaving us groundless and walking out beyond the lighthouse wall ourselves, touching our way out over water, playing for keeps for the world. Good night, my new dear friend. We remain here, resting still with your breathing, with this dark air passing over us tonight. We open ourselves once more into the light where all spirits are passing, where everything is always returned. So that's, that's a bit about, I wrote about, about one of the fatalities that happened on the island. That's obviously something like that must be very, very difficult to deal with. How do you think in general the island over your, your years there has changed you as people? Do you think you are very different people today than you would have been had you had a, a very different job? Hard to say, to tell you the truth. Yeah. You know, mm. for me, I probably would not have taken photographs or written a book because I'm too hyper. <laughs> I'm running around the place, I'd be around the world. Mm. <laughs> but for someone, I mean, I know you love traveling as well, so, yeah. you know, it is, I mean, you've gone to the same place every summer for 20 years. Yeah. It's a place where there's a lot of solitude, a lot of reflection. Yeah. You, you play your music, you take your photographs. It, it's given you a creative space, so I suppose... Exactly that. It's mm. made you slow down it has and create, maybe. Yeah, sure. yeah, things have happened there, for sure. Um, people come for a few hours of the day, but you have a lot of time to yourself, mm. too. And you both wrote, I suppose, a lot of your books in, would have come from your diaries of the time there. Am I right yeah. in saying that? That's that right. They would have been a great resource to you in mm. bringing the books together. Mm. Yeah. So would you both always keep a journal of all your time there? Is that something that's been really important to the process? Uh, yeah, well, I would have always mm. written every year, you know, mm. something, you know, maybe a little poem or something. Yeah. 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 Often yeah. 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 Certainly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I'd answer your earlier question. I don't know whether it, it changes you too much, but mm -hmm. um, on, on, you, it gives you a, a depth to mm -hmm. the experience there. But one thing I would say is that I think people go to the Skelligs and they also have an insight into the sort of things that Catherine and I might be talking about very quickly in just a few seconds because yeah. it is such a, a different sort of jolting experience for so many people. Yes. A lot of people don't realize where they're going. A lot of people are just going out for a lark, mm. or maybe they have interest in the birds. But a lot of times, particularly now, with Skellig so much on the sort of commercial tourism mm. circuit, um, a lot of people don't really know what they're going into. But um, I, you do find, I'm sure you know too, that um, people all of a sudden are kind of shocked by the place. I remember actually a line in your book about, I think someone turned around to you with tears in their eyes and they were very affected by it and that emotionally, yeah. spiritually. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so you see yeah, that a lot. really mm -hmm. touched by the place. Mm -hmm. That's incredible, yeah. isn't it? Uh, it's so unique. Yeah. I mean, I've traveled a lot, but every year, every single year, the first day back, I always think, there's just nowhere like it. Mm -hmm. There isn't, really. Um, also, I really want to ask you, have you seen, and I know especially Catherine, you talk so much about the puffins and the birds, but 
Have you seen any changes ecologically over the years? Do you think the skellig is changing or is it staying the same? Well, I think like the, the, the colonies, the, the birds and that, they're, mm. they're, they seem to be doing very well. Mm. Um, I don't think it's changed. I mean, I know there's a lot of footage, you know, mm. so... Um, but I think as a place, it's doing really, really well. I mean, the sea seems to be abundant with food mm -hmm. so far, you know. Yeah. In all the years mm. that I was there, there was this one year that it was a very, very bad year. Mm -hmm. There was no food in the sea at all. Yeah. I don't know why that was, but mm. I, I, I don't see. I don't know what you think Yeah, about well, that. I mean, you're, I, I feel the same way. Mm. It's, it, we're very fortunate because, mm. I mean, for instance, if you just talk about birds like the puffins, all throughout uh, the northern breeding grounds, mm. north of the Skelligs, mm. they've been devastated in places, yeah. in Scotland and Scandinavia yeah. and places like that. And maybe it's just because we're right down in the southwestern corner of their habitat. Uh, like, like Catherine says, there were a couple of years when the sprats and the sand eels were very, very scarce, and mm. the adults were feeding young ones with little pipe fish, and they yeah. couldn't deal with it, yeah. and it was we're really di <laughs> difficult to watch. Mm. On the other hand, I think things are changing. Yeah. Um, obviously, the temperature is changing, and the thing that you can see from something like that particular year, the food source can just vanish. Yeah. It can vanish overnight, and that's what happened in Scotland. So I think one thing that is, that is true is that people are becoming more aware of just how fragile the place yeah. is, yeah. and yeah, that can't yeah. be bad, because yeah. it isn't just the built heritage there, which is fragile, I mean, you can always replace stones, you can rebuild things, but then they're not original anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's a concept that has, it's taken a long while for people to really get to grips with. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, is that you have these birds, and of course the puffins are so colorful and people love them, but they're, as Catherine mentioned earlier, they're these night birds too that most people never see. Mm -hmm. And they're these tiny little storm petrels, you hold them in your hand, you don't even know what you're holding, and yet these little creatures fly off, they're off beyond the equator right now, they're off the coast of South America, and they come back and they go into the same little places right between the stones in the cells, they live to be up to 40, and um, the skeleton is like a little magnet for all this life. There are hundreds of thousands of birds, and they're all out in the ocean right now, and they all have this little magnet that's going to yeah. turn on in April, and they go right back there. It's so, yeah. incredible, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, with that, actually, Catherine, I might get you to do your second reading for us about the puffins. Okay. That would be a lovely time to bring that in. You have to come and see the puffins, guys. <laughs> There's something else. Let's see now what I read. Um, okay, the puffins. They're very social and wander around in little groups or colonies. A lot of billing goes on, which is an act of endearment. Rabbits who live there <laughs> still do well, and I have seen puffins and rabbits living in the same burrow, an underground world we don't know about. It's amusing to see them coming out of the same places. They so seem to work it out. I love music and play a few different instruments, not very well, but <laughs> I often uh, sit up on a rock and the puffins will come and sit around me as I'm playing. Sometimes if I've been sitting there a while, they start pulling at my jacket. I think at this stage I'm just part of the place. And I just have one other little part and that will be all I'll read. <laughs> so we have 8,000 pairs of puffins living on the island. Uh, we count them every day, by the way. <laughs> uh, living in little burrows for their nesting season. 
Some have been tagged and we know that they come back to the same burrow every year with the same partner. They arrive en masse in April, set up their homes, have their chicks and then leave en masse the first week in August. They go out to the middle of the North Atlantic and sit on the ocean all winter long. Some even go as far as Greenland. They rest on the sea and dive for food. The only time they come to land is for the nesting season. Burrow spaces are limited, so there are four pairs that have set up home underneath the cabins where the caretakers live. Our huts are located in the middle of a puffin village. There's a wall in front and it's hilarious watching them walk up and down the wall. They are busy all the time. There's a constant activity 24 hours a day. They're very entertaining, they're feisty, curious, very social, and I frequently laugh out loud at their antics. When I leave my door open, which is most of the time, <laughs> visitors come in. There'll be a little pitter-patter of feet, and then suddenly puffins are running around the inside of the cabin. Once one of the, the puffins jumped into my wardrobe, looking around and feeling very comfortable there, and it took me a long time to get him out. On hot nights, I leave my door open and my wake-up call is usually a puffin coming in. They have little webbed feet and a Charlie Chaplin walk, and they come in and pirouette and leave a little gift on the floor. That was Catherine Merrigan and Robert L. Harris in conversation with me, Deanna O'Connor, as part of the Dingle Lit Book Festival in November 2021. You've been listening to the Dingle Lit Podcast. If you want to hear more, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch the interview online, look for Dingle Lit on YouTube, or go to dinglelit.ie for more information on upcoming events. Thanks for listening.